0: our sermon today. Chris, could you make sure that they can you raise your hand and Chris will get you one. Betty needs one. Anybody else? Kaylee needs one. This Sunday and next Sunday will be the Last two Sundays that we will be turning in our series in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, and we are now in chapter 14. And we're going to be all the way down in verse 26. So, Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be all the way down in verse 26. One of the more difficult matters I've had to navigate in the last 10 years of my life in my pastoral ministry, but also just in life in general. I think this is normal for us as we go on into our adult lives. I think we grow in this the longer we are adulting, if I can use that phrase, that word. Um, It's this matter of other people's perspective on us, as well as our own perspective on ourselves. It seems to me that I suppose as I grow in my adult life, I'll learn how to navigate it better, but it seems to me that it just gets more complicated the longer I'm an adult. None of us want to be, at least those who are conscientious and are seeking to do what is right, none of us want to be blind to our weaknesses. But at the same time, many of us are sensitive to other people's negative perspectives, and it doesn't fit with our own perspective of ourself, and we try to navigate that. Another factor is many people have, other people, as they look in on us and they have a perspective and an opinion of us, they uh, perhaps base their opinion, their perspective on us on maybe just some of the truth, but there's a lot of things they don't know. And we should continue to consider other people's perspective on us even If we think it is deeply flawed, that is a a part of wisdom as we seek to do what's right and honor the Lord. There is a part of wisdom that we need to consider other people's perspective. But how can we sort all that out? It's difficult. And so my hint here is, where is our ultimate guidance? And those of you in your Christian walk, now the light bulb comes on. Oh, yes, my ultimate guidance comes from God himself. In this age of God's people, our instruction, God speaking to us, happens through his word. It's anchored to the scriptures. And the spirit of God can impress upon us. Things, But we definitely want to make sure that as God speaks to us in other ways, perhaps outside the scriptures, that as we evaluate that, that it is anchored to the scriptures. The word inspiration, all scriptures are given by inspiration of God. The Greek says God breathed. And so the idea there is the scriptures is God's breath or God's voice speaking to us. Today, as we look at Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 26, Jesus tells Peter that in just a few hours, Peter is going to deny him. And I know our text today is a familiar passage, talking about Jesus foretelling that Peter is going to deny him. And I'm hoping that perhaps... There are some things here I'm going to try to shed light on that have been there all along that will perhaps uh, be uh, something you had not thought of before, but also the very same things that you've been so familiar with that you'll take a fresh look at it, and God will speak into our lives and help us have a realistic view of ourselves. So let's pray. God, as we are gathered together around your word, I pray for myself, pray for those who are here gathered with me, that we would have open hearts, soft hearts, Spirit of God that we're ready for you to speak in accordance with your word. I pray for wisdom and clarity as I seek to give forth this truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So number one this morning, God gives us a realistic view Of ourselves. God gives us a realistic view of ourselves. And we need this. We need God to give us a realistic view of ourselves because there are all kinds of scriptures that talk about the deceitfulness of our heart and the struggle of sin and the deceit of Satan and his demons and of the world system. So much is out there. The flesh, our own sinful desires, the world, the unbelieving world around us, and the devil himself and his demons. It can be very hard to keep a realistic view of ourselves. So let's look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 26, and we're just going to read the first couple of verses. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we're jumping into the middle of something right now. Just this is the conclusion of the first Lord's Supper, where Jesus commanded that they were to do this do this Lord's Supper until He comes. This first Lord's Supper was done in the manner of a Passover meal. So, a lot we could say there, but Passover was one of those pilgrims' feasts where everybody came to Jerusalem. So, Jerusalem's population was swelled up. There was a way more people in Jerusalem than normal. And a lot of times people would, one of the places they would lodge or sleep at night was the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives, there were a lot of olive trees there on the Mount. And many people write, as they try to talk about the historical context, they write that there were people with mats all over spread out underneath these olive trees. Jesus's normal Thing he had been doing during this holy week. He came in on Sunday and he had the triumphal entry. But each night, we've, we've talked about this already, he would leave Jerusalem. He would grow across that Kidron Valley. Last week I gave you a picture. It was this deep valley between Jerusalem and then the Mount of Olives. He would climb the Mount of Olives. It wasn't a very high mountain. It was, I think, for 2,600 feet. And then he would go across a path, and then he'd go down the other side, and this little town of Bethany was on the other side, kind of on the slope, and that's where he spent most of his nights. Well, this particular night, after he had instituted the Lord's Supper, he'd had his Passover meal there somewhere in Jerusalem, he leaves town. And... um, somewhere on his journey um, from leaving town, going out the gate, going down through the Kidron Valley and up into the Mount of Olives among the olive trees there, he had this conversation with Peter. Verse 27. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So we're going to stop there for the moment. So here, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, and we'll look at that in a minute. He quotes from the Old Testament and applies it to that very night. And he tells them directly, he says, you all, the whole group, you're going to fall away. Those were hard words from Jesus. This idea of falling away in the New Testament is often translated in a very negative and strong sense. It can be translated that they um, that they all were going to sin, or that they're all going to be caused to sin, like a like an offense or a stumbling block. Um, it could be. Uh, Translated several different ways along that line, but here the ESV translators and many of the other translators take note that this is not as serious as it can be in other situations, and they soften the translation to fall away. So this group of disciples that were with Jesus, Jesus was going to be struck here in this situation in a few hours, and when they see Jesus struck, they are all going to fall away, they're going to scatter one commentary as they're trying to help us understand this idea of falling away, says it this way. In the present context, the idea of falling away is not to lose faith permanently, but temporarily lose courage. Because of the intensity of what's going to happen, the unthinkable of what's getting ready to happen is so shocking to them that they lose their courage and they scatter. And there are things that can happen in our Christian lives that are so momentous, so awful, so shaking us up that we lose our courage in a way we didn't know we could. It's important when we read the scriptures, quote other parts of the scriptures. There's something in your own Bible reading I want you to learn more and more to take note of. And so when we come across quotes, most of the time I want to draw your attention to it. And because we can be a little bit weaker in our Old Testament understanding, I want to get your pages thumbing or your finger tapping, whichever you're doing, um, to these Old Testament books. And so let's turn to where Jesus quoted here. <coughs> if you haven't already taken note, um, from a, in your Bible it's Zechariah chapter 13. Verse 7. So let's turn there. And so to help you, it's towards the very end of our Old Testament. You have Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then Matthew. So if you find Malachi, just go back one book, and you have found Zechariah. And if you go to Haggai, you've gone too far. But Haggai is so small that you might even go beyond Haggai and get to Zephaniah want Zechariah chapter 13 Zechariah is a difficult Old Testament book it is filled with symbolism and poetry and prophecy in Zechariah you're going to have the first and second comings of Jesus prophesied but there you can't tell they're going to be the first and second comings it looks like just one coming so Zechariah is filled with prophecy I just want you to get your eyeballs on this Old Testament verse. If you want to read Zechariah in your old time, that would be great. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword. Sword is personified here. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little Ones. Okay, you can turn back to Mark chapter 14. Again, my purpose in making you go there is so you've actually gone there and gone through the exercise of it, looking at an Old Testament verse. Jesus takes this Old Testament verse, applies it to himself and his own sovereignty and his own wisdom. He can do that. So imagine what it would be like for Jesus to tell you that you were going to fall away. Those are hard words. And as we know, for those of us who are familiar with the scriptures, we know, and we're getting ready to look at this, Peter's response to this. And everybody else around Peter um, echoed. Peter's response. It is very hard for us to listen when God speaks to us and it's not a positive matter about us. So, my application question for you is Are you ready to listen when God tells you things about yourself that are less than flattering? Do you have a heart that's ready to listen? One of the most beautiful things about the scriptures, and there are many of them, but one of them is that throughout all of scriptures, even in the beginning in the fall in the Garden of Eden, there is a hope of a future even in the midst of failure. Right there in the Garden of Eden, as I've mentioned many times, The curse is pronounced after sin, but right there in the middle is what people call, the really fancy people call, the Proto-Evangelion, the first mention of the gospel. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is the first prophecy of the good news of Jesus Christ's coming. So right there in the midst of the fall into sin and the world is cursed, we have a hope of a future. And that is what we have here in our verses today. So number two today, God gives us a future. God gives us a future even though we fail. God gives us a future even though we fail. This is beautiful, folks. I love it. And we, our, our souls, especially when we're troubled and struggling over our failures, so let just lap this up. The scriptures constantly give us this hope in the midst of failure. So verse 28, so Jesus has just quoted in verse 27, Matthew, or Mark 14, 27, he has just quoted that um, Zechariah and said that they're going to fall away and they're going to scatter. Verse 28, he says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And I wonder if this is one of the things, that as we are familiar with this, these verses, we, we miss this verse. This verse is hope of future in the midst of failure. So Jesus tells them, yes, he's going to die. It's implicit here. But by the fact he says he's going to be raised up, he's saying, yes, I'm going to die. And he's been telling them this for a little while, but they can't fathom it. So he says, yes, I will die. I will rise again. I'm going to rise from the dead. He prophesied that as well. And he's going to meet them again in Galilee. He's going to go before them, but they're going to meet up in Galilee. And he's going to see them. They're going to be together. And so even though they, they fail him and they scatter and they fall away, and they run away from him when he is struck, he says, after I've been killed and after I rise again, we're going to be together in Galilee. That is a beautiful truth, my friends. Even though they fled him, there's a future of being with him. This is the story of humanity, of God's people, of failure, for God offering a future. And I've mentioned this before when I deal with my children, but especially James. James can get really emotional. And he gets so caught up in the moment. It's traumatic. Even over the smallest things, He tears are coming down. It's like amazing waterfall going on in his face. And he's just so upset But helping him think about the reality of the moment, but the reality of future. Uh, for caring parents, of a carrying God in helping him process his strong emotions. And so it is for we as his people. Whether we are greatly upset because of our own sin or whether there's been something traumatic that, is circumstantially that has happened in our lives, big or small, there are times where you are so overcome you cannot think beyond the flood of emotions of the present and. To some extent, that's okay. But part of maturing as God's child is to learn as you process the flood of the moment that is overwhelming you to learn to think to the restoration of the future through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of the scriptures. Moving from brokenness there in Genesis chapter 3 to ultimate restoration at the end of the book of revelation and so yes there are very rough moments in this life some because of our own sins, some because of the trauma of circumstances and yet we have a god who we have a future with and he will meet us there in that future in full restoration number three Sometimes we do not listen to God. Sometimes we do not listen to God. And here's the part that we're all familiar with with Peter. Matthew chapter 14, verse 29. Peter said to Jesus, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Boom. Boom. We can all say that Peter was overconfident. For one, God himself had just spoken to him and told him what was going to happen. But we have the heart of Peter that God may speak to us and tell us the truth and we do not listen. And you need to take that in, my friends. I need to take that in. You have a heart that sometimes does not listen to God. It's good for you to confess that. But, my friends, this is also the same Peter who, in Acts chapter 2, preached powerfully at Pentecost, the day that the church was inaugurated. Great day, my friends. It was awesome same guy but then I want to take you to another time when Peter failed after Pentecost turn to Galatians chapter 2 Galatians chapter 2 this was a humiliating failure But then we have later on that Peter was used, even after this failure. That we're looking at, Peter was used greatly by the Holy Spirit to write the letters of First and Second Peter. So Galatians, I've got to get there myself. Chapter two, towards the end of the chapter, verse we're middle of chapter, verse eleven. But when Cephas, this is Paul, writing his letter. For when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, we just read about Antioch that Paul returned to here today in our scripture reading. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Here is Paul standing against Peter in front of a bunch of people. It's kind of embarrassing. And it goes on to explain that Peter, as soon as some of the other Jews showed up, even though the Holy Spirit had made clear through Peter in Acts chapter 10 that it was okay for them to be with Gentiles in God's church, as soon as the, some of the Jews showed up here, Peter pulls away from the crowd and pulls away from the Gentiles because he feels peer pressure by these other Jews. And so Paul sees that as a perversion of the gospel, which it was. And so Paul confronted Peter in front of everybody. So there are ups and downs. There are failures and successes, and Peter embodies that. But we can go back to Mark chapter 14. There is a future with the Lord. But here we see Peter's overconfidence, and we have a heart like Peter, and Sometimes we do not listen to God. There was, I read about a Chinese pastor. And this was in a time when the persecution was way more intense in China than it is now, although there's plenty of intensity right now. I think it was in the 60s or 70s. And he was eventually arrested. And he began to be, pressured and mistreated and in some forms tortured and they began to tell him that if he did not deny christ that they would begin to mistreat his family his wife and his i don't know if he had one child but they began to assail him and eventually he did deny christ and they released him and this was a broken man my friends he was so overcome that he denied christ And through a time of spiritual restoration with the Lord and in prayer, over a matter of months and I think maybe a year or two, he began to find his confidence in the Lord again and he began to serve the Lord again. He was arrested again in that time by God's grace. He did not deny his Lord. Don't underestimate your own weakness. But don't underestimate God's grace, His love, and His mercy. But as God begins to show you the weakness of your heart, are you listening to God? I don't want to oversimplify the reasons for our overconfidence. There could be all kinds of reasons. Sometimes it's just flat-out pride. Sometimes we've had some recent victories, and so that can spur on our overconfidence Be the deceitfulness of our own heart. Plenty of things to consider there. But we do need to consider, are we acting in overconfidence and not listening to the Lord? Finally, number four, sometimes we persist not listening to God. Sometimes we persist not listening to God. And that's what happens here with Peter, because Peter says, though they all fall away, I will not. And so it goes on in verse 30. And Jesus said to him, <coughs> truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, he will deny me three times. Verse 31. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Do you believe, so it's bad enough when we don't listen to God, but it can be worse for us. Do you believe that you can persist in a mindset against what God is telling you? And the answer is, you should. But do you consider that about yourself? That you can do that. Do not underestimate your weakness to persist in your own way. That is the nature of your sinful heart and of mine. So as we wrap it up today, number one, God gives us a realistic view of ourselves. Number two, God gives us a future even though we fail. Number three, sometimes we do not listen to God. And number four, sometimes we persist not listening to God. So we talked about at the very beginning, how can we sort all people's perspectives out of us and how we're trying to think of ourselves and we, how do we sort all this out? Where is our ultimate guidance And a proper perspective comes ultimately through our relationship with God and a humble heart as we interact with others. That's how we can have a realistic perspective on ourselves in the midst of the rest of everybody else around us and their struggles and their sin and then our sin and our own struggles. We can do it. But you need to recognize your potential weakness, your likely weakness. And you need to recognize that even when you fail, you have a hope of a future with our Lord. That is the theme of the scriptures. And you need to be real with yourself that you can, even though God is speaking to you, not listen. Take a few minutes and respond to the Lord.